Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. that one of the most rewarding things uh, to do in life is to restore something. You guys like to restore anything? Any of you guys restore antiques or furniture, houses? You guys flip houses? Um, My grandma, she loved to restore antiques, especially those old steamer trunks, you know, the chests. My dad, he was, uh, he was a car guy. He liked to restore old cars. He did car body and paint work. Uh, I really enjoyed his, his 51 Mercury growing up. You know, black, chop top, had the no door handles, solid rims. And this thing looked like the Batmobile, and I felt like I was in a Batmobile. Um, riding in that thing, going to the ice cream shop late at night, going to the drive-in. Anyway, he sold it to a guy that lives out in California. Uh, the guy turns cars into limousines, so he does a different work on cars. But uh, just recently, I had the opportunity, I guess, to uh, restore something myself. It was our walk-in shop door at my house. We've been at this house for a year and. I've done a lot of things at that house and finally made it to that that shop door. This is one of those doors that you almost, you just didn't want to use. It just got propped open all the time because it it was, you know, the handle was weak. You had to lift up on it and shut it. It just wasn't square. It was falling apart. And uh, I put a lot of time into that door recently, a lot of elbow grease. I put longer screws in the hinges, you know, straightened it out, secured it. And I drilled a new hole for the latch, you know, the strike plate, put a new lever handle on, put it, a couple of fresh coats of paint on it, so now that it, it matches our house. And uh, we have cats now, so I put a cat door on. That was a first. Um, but they catch our mice, right? So I actually like cats for that reason. But uh, this, this door is like a brand new door for us, and I actually enjoy using it now. <laughs> it opens and shuts so smoothly that I, I wish I would have done it. Let's just say I wish I would have done it a long time ago. And uh, I, it's it's very rewarding. I don't think it's an accident that we like to restore things and, and that it's so rewarding because we are made in the image of God and God himself has a heart for restoration. Right? You... You've probably never thought about this, but um, have you noticed how the Bible is full of words that start with the prefix R-E? Think about it. Like restoration, R-E. Redemption, reconciliation, uh, regeneration, renew. We renew our minds. We repent. 
return, uh, resurrection, all of these words that start with this RE prefix suggest a coming back to an original state that was lost or has been ruined. It's bringing something back to its former glory or maybe even more glory than before. You know, when man sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, way back in the beginning, you know, there, was, there were some physiological effects that came with that fall. If you studied Genesis 3, you know that. There's thorns and thistles, and man's going to work the ground by the sweat of his brow. There's disease that comes into play and death. And these are things that I don't think either us or God particularly likes, right? The, the physical problems, though, that we, that we see in this world are there to remind us that there is a spiritual defect that has occurred. There's a spiritual problem with man's relationship to God. It's been broken through sin. Man has rebelled against him. And, you know, I'm so glad that when man sinned, God didn't just say, well, I guess that's it. And he didn't crinkle up this world and man and just throw it all away. Aren't you glad God didn't do that? He could have. He could have just said, well, I'm just going to obliterate man and I'm going to throw the world away. Actually, I don't, I don't know if he could have because he's a God of love too. He has a heart for restoration. He started working towards restoration. Step by step, he's been carrying out his own restoration plan. And you see it right there in Genesis 3.15, the first promise. There's a promise in Genesis 3.15, the same chapter that man sins against God. God promises right then and there, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a Messiah, a Savior, to come and redeem man from this spiritual mess that he is in. And eventually, I'm going to even restore this world from the curse altogether, all of creation is longing to be set free from the curse. And we get a taste, I think, of both of these restorations in our passage today. The spiritual restoration and physical restoration. And we're going to see how we can be ourselves part of God's plan for restoring the world. How we can take part in that. And uh, let's remember where we're at as we come to Acts chapter 3. The Spirit has come. God's doing a new work. The church has been born. Um, there's just over 3,000 newborn baby Christians at this point. And the news is starting to spread that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the one who brought spiritual restoration that we long for. And he can bring the physical restoration as well. But look at that, verse 1, chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, that would have been three in the afternoon, by the way, a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms from those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, 
walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. So first, let's look at the, the miracle we see this morning. We see today a physical restoration miracle of a lame man by Peter and John. Acts 2.43 says that many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. Can I get the next slide, please? Uh, I think, there we go. And, and this, is the only, this is only one of the miracles. Many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And this is only one of them that Luke singles out. And he singles it out because of the ripple effect that it's going to have on, on everybody that's involved in it. It becomes really a pivotal moment in the history of, of the church, bringing many people to faith, but also sparking a lot of ad- the first adversity against the church for the first time. You're going to see people thrown in jail by, by the time we're done here today. Uh, that's what this miracle causes, a lot of people to believe and a lot of people to start um, persecuting the church. And the miracle happens as these two apostles are on their way into the temple during a regular uh, prayer time for for the Jews. And um, the church at this point doesn't have any conflict with the temple. They don't have a problem meeting there yet. But that's going to change as Judaism starts to um, force Christians out and they can no longer meet peacefully in this temple area like they were. Uh, kind of like that, that area, Solomon's portico is mentioned. That's where the church seemed to meet often. It was like a double-columned um, covered porch that you see there in verse 11. That's where Jesus taught sometimes. But as they're walking into the temple, they encounter this disabled man, and he was a regular there at that temple gate. Uh, he, would, he would beg for, um, for alms, for, for finances, right? He's a panhandler, apparently, right? If you, that word comes from thinking of your hand as a, a pan, and your arm's the handle, right? And it's a hand out, right? He's a panhandler. Acts 4.22 tells us he's been with this congenital defect that he's got for more than 40 years. I mean, he was born with this. He's never really had a childhood. He's never ran and played soccer. He's never climbed on a jungle gym. He's never even stood up. His, his ankles are in, in the, just his, his feet are so weak that he can't even stand on his own. And so he's got to be carried everywhere. Uh, he likely can't work. I bet he probably doesn't even work much with his hands because in this society, his defect is likely seen as uh, as an offense, I guess, like against God. His, it's punishment for sin somehow. That's why they often thought of disabled people. They're, they're being punished for their sin. And uh, so people were avoiding him. Uh, it kind of reminds us of 
kind of reminds me when I lived in Lincoln, you know, I, I went to this Walmart, and at first when I got there, I was buying my groceries at this Walmart on the north side of Lincoln, and, and there was always people at the stop sign as you were leaving that had their cardboard signs, you know, asking for help and stuff like that, uh, asking, for, asking for handouts, and at first I felt really bad, and, you know, I kind of felt bad avoiding them, you know, but after a while I began to see they, they had a real system down, and they were on a rotation, you know, <laughs> and they were... They were taking advantage of people. Some of them were. I don't know about the hearts of all of them. But um, this guy here, uh, he's truly needy. He, he can't work. He's shunned by society. And so, uh, you, as you can imagine, it's kind of like us. We, we, we see some people like that, and we tend to like not even want to look at them. We'll just drive by or walk by and not even look or pretend not to look. Like, oh, didn't see you there. Right? And so <laughs> Peter locks eyes with this guy. This is a guy who's avoided... People don't even, they avoid even looking at him. And it says, Peter fixes his gaze on him and says, look at us. So this guy looks up at them and he's expecting now to receive some money. But Peter says, look, I don't possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And he just reaches down, pulls him up, and there's this immediate miraculous healing. Doesn't even have to go to therapy or any of that. I mean, it's just instantaneous. And I like, I think you see a little bit of Dr. Luke here describing, you know, how his, his feet and his ankles were, were strengthened just with the words that he uses. And, but uh, he, he stands upright, he starts walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. It's an incredible ecstatic moment. And he has been restored, right? There is a physical restoration that has just taken place. It's like he has new life, he's got new capabilities, Jesus has strengthened him. But I want to look at our first restoration step this morning, right? Let's just stop and consider that just like this man, we all need restoration. We're amazed at this man's restoration, but we all need restoration. Sin has brought the need for spiritual restoration. And even physical restoration, if you think about it, we all need our bodies, they get old, they wear out, we die. We're going to have our bodies transformed someday, like Christ. This man's uh, physical healing, I think, is great. It's great, but you think about it, it's going to wear out again. Uh, he's going to go to the grave. And if he doesn't know Jesus, the root of his problem really isn't dealt with, and I don't even think it's his faith that's healed him. It's Peter's faith in Jesus. Uh, and you see miracles uh, in the Bible. Um, they aren't here just to amaze us, as amazing as they are. They're here quite often. Uh, at least I have every miracle I've encountered in the Bible so far. I mean, going through the Gospel of Mark, they're there specifically to teach us some sort of spiritual truth and to give us hope in Jesus. Apostolic miracles, what were these doing? These were, we've studied, they are affirming the authority of the apostles. They're affirming the, the good news of the gospel that they're preaching. Um, God is affirming them through the miraculous signs and wonders. And then recently in Mark, we've studied a lot of Jesus' miracles. And a lot of those miracles, the physical healing was representative or symbolic of some sort of 
spiritual healing that needed to take place. You remember that? Uh, So Jesus would heal a blind man, and then he would go and talk to the disciples about how they're blind, right? So he's trying to teach them through this miracle that they have a spiritual blindness that they're not seeing, and they need to be healed of that, more importantly. And then miracles also prove that Jesus is the Messiah, and, and he's our hope both for spiritual healing and for physical healing someday. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But let's take note of another restoration principle from this uh, section. Restoration step number two, you know, seeing ourselves as part of God's plan for restoration in this world, we've got to expect him to use us. I think at unexpected times, at times even when we're really busy, maybe we're shopping at the grocery store and maybe we've just got a whole to-do list going on that day and we got to get the wheat in the ground or we got to get the corn out. And I mean, usually when, when divine opportunities come and it's, it's time to share Jesus with someone, it's usually not at a time that is convenient. I'm just being honest here. I mean, think about Peter and John. They could have said, sorry, can't help you. I got a prayer meeting to get to. <laughs> I'm glad that they, they took some time to give this man their attention. And uh, this gives Peter another opportunity uh, to explain and uh, proclaim the gospel. You see his, his second sermon here in Acts already. Well, let's look at verse uh, 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon. They're full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us, Peter and John, as if by our power or our pity and our own godliness that we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you disowned. He's speaking to the Jews who crucified Jesus, right? You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. But you put to death the prince of life the author of life, the originator of life, and the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so next we see the message, right? The miracle uh, with this man's excitement and everything, he's leaping, he's praising God, and everybody's recognizing him. Hey, that guy's never stood before. It starts to draw a crowd, and Peter takes full advantage of the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and point people to Jesus. I find that amazing myself because uh, he's not like a faith healer today, <laughs> right, that would heal someone like this maybe or make a show out of it, and then start asking for money. He he's actually doesn't point to himself at all. He, he, points all the, he directs all the attention to Jesus. He says, it's not by my power. It's not because I'm a godly person, right? Like that's what I heard the gospel is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's what Peter's doing. It's not me, right? It's not this man. It's, it's Jesus. He's drawn all the power 
to do this. The power is coming from Jesus. Peter is just the conduit through which Jesus' power is working. It's not Peter himself, and he's, he's speaking to the Jews. Uh, you can tell by the way he's calling them out on how they've delivered and disowned Jesus and how he makes the reference there to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. And then he uses three Old Testament messianic titles for Jesus that they would be familiar with, uh, just kind of these general descriptions of the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, uh, the servant, the holy and righteous one, and then the author of life. And during this time in history, uh, and during Jewish festivals in particular, it was common for people to come around and say, well, I'm in the Messiah. Everybody, you know, look to me, turn to me. Like you had these false messiahs that were always cropping up at festivals, Jewish festivals in Jerusalem, like Pentecost here. And how would you know whether they're legit or not? How would you know? Well, they would have to be confirmed by things like miracles. Because in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Messiah was going to usher in a kingdom that lifts the curse of sin. Everything that came with it, right? He would overrule things like disease and death and deformities like this man has. Actually, Isaiah 35 uh, talks about how the Arabah, the, the area east of Jerusalem, the desert and all this place down there, it's going to flourish. It's going to come to life. And then it says this, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. I can't help but think that this lame leaping like a deer was in their minds when he's doing this. And uh, Jesus, Jesus did all of this in his ministry, didn't he? He, 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 he opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the deaf. Stuck his fingers in their ears and healed their ears. He, he even raised the dead. I mean, Jesus proved himself through his ministry to be the Messiah, and he's continuing to prove it through these apostles. He's the one who can bring restoration to the world, and he's the only one. He's the only one in history that could do these things. And that's another restoration step for us to realize is that Jesus is the only source of true restoration. If you want to be restored spiritually, you want that physical resurrection someday, it's only going to be found in Jesus Christ. He's the only source of true restoration that there is. It's not in a counselor. It's not in a pastor. It's not in anything. It's, not, it's only in Jesus Christ. You've got to go to Him personally. You've got to look to Him. Peter and John, they're just the conduit through which He works. They're trying to point people to Jesus. The problem, though, in the Jewish mind would be well, if Jesus is the Messiah, and this is huge, don't, don't miss this. This is what the rest of the chapter is about. If Jesus is this Messiah, okay, uh, what do we do now that we've crucified him and rejected him? Uh, and if he's the Messiah, then where's the kingdom? Where's his kingdom at? How come the kingdom didn't come when he did? And Peter explains that in verses 17 through 21. Now, brethren... 
I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. And so this, he, he talks about here how the Christ would suffer. Now, among the Jews, there was a lot of debate over the suffering servant prophecies in the Old Testament, four in particular in Isaiah that are called the servant songs like Isaiah 53, he would be crushed, he'd be nailed to the cross, that sort of thing. Well, um, they were really confused by that because there were other prophecies and even more desired prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. The, the prophecies that said he was going to come on the clouds and he's going to reign and he's going to overthrow all of the Gentile rulers. I mean, which prophecies would you rather long for? The, this, this, the Messiah that comes and suffers or the Messiah that comes and reigns and sets you free from Rome, right? From the oppression. I mean, obviously their minds went to the, the victorious Messiah. And the prophecies were so different, actually, that some were arguing for two different Messiahs. Well, there's, there's going to be two different Messiahs that come, one that suffers, one that's, one's that's victorious. But Peter's saying, look, Jesus is both. And in his first coming, he fulfilled the suffering servant prophecies. But a time is coming when he's going to fulfill the victorious Messiah prophecies. The one where he comes and rules and sets creation and man free from the curse of sin. So some hated hearing this, obviously, some of these Jews, because uh, they, when they crucified him, they wanted Jesus, this whole Jesus thing, just to be said and done. Like, just get rid of this Jesus figure who's ruining our religious system and, 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 and calling us hypocrites, okay? Um, Peter um, exposes their sin, and he exposes how their rejection of him, imagine this, we think we're getting rid of him by crucifying him, but by crucifying him, Peter's saying, you paradoxically affirmed him as your Messiah. So he's not going away at all. You only affirmed him to be the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets predicted. And this is, this is neat because you see both God's sovereignty and their responsibility. They were part of fulfilling the prophecy, but God still holds them accountable. His sovereignty didn't remove responsibility. And uh, their ignorance, he even mentions their ignorance, their ignorance does not alleviate their need to repent. And that's the same with all of us. We may be ignorant of what Jesus did. That doesn't alleviate our need to repent unless we have Jesus. We won't have everlasting life. We won't spend eternity with God, will we? We won't get to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus is the only source of that. And uh, this is part of what we've got to do. This is part of who we are. Just like Peter, we're, we're his messengers. We're his witnesses. And that requires sharing the truth of Christ in love with people. Look how honest Peter is. He's like, yeah, you guys sinned. I mean, you, you messed up big time. But 
God still longs to forgive you. God still longs to bless you. God still longs to refresh you in Christ. He says, if you want to be restored, if you want to find refreshment, look at all those R-E words in that one verse. Restored, refresh. If you want to be restored and you want refreshment, you've got to repent and you've got to return to God. And that word repent refers to an inward change of heart and mind toward Jesus. Uh, These Jews, think about it in the context, they've got to stop denying Jesus as their Lord and Messiah, as God and Savior, and they've got to instead accept Him. They've rejected Him, now they've got to accept Him as their Lord and their Savior. And it's amazing, just think of that. He's offering incredible grace here. These are the people who crucified Jesus, and they're the first ones that get to hear the gospel. That's amazing to me that they would even have another opportunity to believe even after denying Jesus the entire time he was on this earth. Remember how vicious they were towards him? Trying to shut him up and shut him down and trying to kill him and saying that he's demonic and all of his miracles were from Beal's bowl and all these things. And, and Jesus said, look, I'm turning to the Gentiles now. But though the program had changed a little bit, right? from the Jews to the Gentiles, now they still have the opportunity to be saved. They can still find refreshment in Christ. They can still be restored. I mean, think of this. This, They've committed the greatest sinful crime in the history of mankind, nailing the Son of God to the cross. And they are still offered forgiveness. Tell me again how you've done too much wrong for God to ever forgive you. It kind of does away with that question, doesn't it? I've done too much wrong. Really? These guys nailed Jesus to the cross. You ever done that? You know, what have you done that's just too far for God's grace to reach you? It's not there, is it? It's a silly question. Spiritual restoration and refreshment by the Spirit of God, as we've seen, the Spirit of God came into them, those who believed, um, That same spirit is available to anyone today who will just accept Christ and believe on Him. One of the the ways you'll be refreshed in Christ is by knowing that your sins will be wiped away. Think of that. Back then, when they they wrote on their, their paper material, it wouldn't soak in like it does on our papers today. And so you could just blot it out. You could wipe away what you've written on this papyri material or whatever. And that's what he's alluding to there. Peter says, your sins can be erased. Your sins can be wiped away if you'll just accept Jesus. It's such a simple message. How refreshing would it be for you this morning to know that you can have your sins erased? How refreshing is it to remind yourself that all the sins you committed this week are still erased in Jesus? Do you know a lot of people carry the weight of their sins as a heavy burden? Guilt and shame comes with it. Uh, People walk around with that all the time. Actually, I've told you this before, but the director of a a mental institution in England told 
John Stott once that he could send half of his patients home tomorrow if he could just assure them of forgiveness. Forgiveness, unforgiveness can result in some serious depression. But that's what Jesus can do. He can free you from that. He can even free those who crucified him from that. It's amazing, the grace that you see here. Jesus dealt with uh, the penalty and the power of sin in his first coming. When you believe in him, you are like before a judge, you're declared righteous. Um, justified before God. And then he sends the Spirit into your life to come and live in you. And he gives you, and it's called the divine nature. Peter calls it the divine nature. And you can now choose to live according to the divine nature. Whereas before, all you've ever had was the sin nature. You can now live for Christ. The Spirit comes into your life, and you are empowered now to wage war against your sin. It's pretty amazing. The actual presence of sin in us, right? In these fleshly bodies and the presence of sin in the world and the curse on creation. All of this is going to be fully dealt with when he comes again in his second coming. Our bodies are going to be transformed. The curse on creation is going to be lifted. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. And Peter doesn't leave them hanging without that understanding. Remember, if Jesus is the Messiah, where is his kingdom? Well, what does he say? Heaven must receive him until the proper time, and then his kingdom will come. When the Father says, go. Okay? Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything that he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet, Jesus, shall be utterly destroyed from among his people from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The seed was Jesus, guys. And for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Now, what Peter's doing here is he's, gonna, he's reinforcing from Scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's going to choose Scripture that calls for a decision. But take note how Peter in his sermon uh, goes to the Word of God to convince people that Jesus is the Christ. And that's important for us to understand. Uh, in, in God's plan of restoration, if we're going to see people, we're going to introduce people to Jesus, we've got to share the word of God with them. I don't know about you, but it was the word of God that convinced me Jesus is the Christ and he's the one I needed. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the, the word of God. Uh, just in our reality group this last week, we, we bragged about the Bible the whole time and how it's inspired by God, it's God-breathed. And we looked at, you know, there's, there's 300 some plus prophecies about Jesus' coming. And, and the miracle that it would require for Jesus to fulfill all of them. I mean, it, it's astounding. It's undeniable. Jesus is the Christ. And um, I like to think of, you know, 
the, the Word of God both convinces us of our need for Jesus, but then from there, we get into the Word of God. We long for the pure milk of the Word, and we start to grow, and we mature as Christians. And uh, I like to think of the Word of God as a manual. We talked about this at Reality, too. It's like a, it's a manual, an instruction manual from our designer who created us. And so when we get into the Word of God, we understand how He created us to operate, how we were intended to operate. And so we begin to line our lives up with that, and it's a blessing. It's a blessing to us. It refreshes us. The Word of God is refreshing. It explains how to live in Christ. It reminds us of who we are in Christ. It renews our minds. It teaches us how to put on the new self and die to the old self. Peter's reference, though, to Deuteronomy 18, look at that. He's calling for a response there. Do you guys see that? Moses prophesied about a divine prophet who would come, and every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. It's a prophetic warning that if you don't heed Jesus, you're going to be cut off from God's people. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not. That's what he's saying to them. Yeah, you're Abraham's descendants, but you don't heed the prophet. You're going to be cut off from among his people. You won't be God's people. He also references... Samuel, the other prophets, the promise to Abraham, clear back in Genesis chapter 12. He's the seed that would bless all nations. It's come true in Jesus Christ. It's more scriptural proof that he's the Messiah. And then look at, lastly, the response here. As, and this is in the first four verses of chapter 4. I find that an unfortunate chapter division. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, guard and the, the Sadducees, Right. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and here they are talking about the resurrection, so they're pretty upset. Um, the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. See, putting them in jail was a little too late. People believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. And so what you see here, I think, in the end, everyone has to choose. You see the response to Peter's message. And, and people either chose to reject the message or they chose to accept it. And we've all got to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this message? What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to reject him or are we going to accept him into our lives? I mean, we can continue on our own path and we can just find trouble at every corner, right? And, and dissatisfaction. It's really not as fulfilling as you think. Or you can turn to Jesus Christ and you can f find blessing. I used to think that by doing things my own way, doing what I wanted to do, boy, just things would just turn out great and I'd be happy. Well, I go down that road long enough and I found out, boy, it's a pretty miserable mess. I found out, wow, it is really a blessing when you turn from your wicked ways and you return to God. Isn't that awesome? I'll bless you by turning you from your own self-destructive sinful ways. Some people think, I come to Christ and it's going to be miserable. Are you kidding me? He'll send the Spirit of God into your life. He'll give you new power. 
to defeat the sin in your life or get some serious victory over it. Sometimes I talk about these things like the Spirit and God's power at work in your life and He can transform you and I think, they call Christians closed-minded? <laughs> closed-minded is thinking this is only a natural world. We're very open-minded. We believe the Spirit of God lives in us and He empowers us and He transforms us and gives us new capabilities. Tell me Christians again are closed-minded. Being a Christian is refreshing. It's refreshing. You find restoration in Christ. Look, some people refuse God's blessing. You can lead them to the refreshing springs of water, but you can't make them drink, can you? You could tell them out about how awesome it is to follow Christ, to believe in Jesus and the new life, and they just won't drink it. But then there's those who do accept Jesus, like the 2,000 that did here this day, and they find restoration and they find refreshment. And it just amazes me that we would rather hold on to our sin in our ways than just let go and let God do his thing in our life. Look at these, these 2,000 people this day, 5,000 in total, began to experience the refreshment that there is in Christ. And for the last 2,000 years since then, lives have continued to be restored and have found refreshment. And the question is, have, have you? And if you haven't, if you haven't, and you want to know how, it's pretty easy. Just accept Jesus Christ in your life. Don't look to me. Don't look to anybody else. Look to Jesus. Go to him in prayer where you sit right now and just tell him, Lord, I've, I've messed up. I'm a sinner just like the rest of everybody else, and I've really blown it. And I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. And you just do that in your heart. It's a simple prayer. No walking an aisle. No giving money to the church. No becoming a member of the church. Just you and Jesus dealing with the, deal, doing business with God. Just you and Jesus. And if you're already a believer here this morning, and you've found that refreshment that's in Christ, I want to challenge you to keep seeing yourself as a part of God's plan for restoration in this world. You are huge. You matter. The decisions you make, the way you live your life, the way you talk, the trust that you display in God in a world of disease and sickness, it matters. The hope that you have in Christ and the way you show that to the world, it matters. The way you treat people matters. You get to show them what it looks like to, to live between two worlds, one that's totally fallen and one that's completely restored. You have a spiritual restoration. You can show them. You can give them a taste of what restoration looks like. And that's what we're doing in Christ, isn't it? By focusing on Christ, we've, we've, we're being restored to his image to the image that our, our father and mother, right, Adam and Eve, lost, that was marred. Christ, re, Christ is restoring us to the image of God, to the, to the ideal. This is what he says in Ephesians 4, lay aside the old self which is corrupted and with the lusts of deceit. You see that? Lust looks really nice, like it looks really satisfying, but it's deceitful. It'll lead you down the wrong road and it'll wreck your life living the way you want to live. He says, be renewed 
There's another reword, right? Renewed in the spirit of your mind, in your heart, in your soul, your inward man. Be renewed as the way you think about life, the way you think about yourself. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. We live differently. We speak differently. We see ourselves differently. We help this world catch a glimpse of what God intended it to be. One of our Berean Fellowship pastors named Brian Clark, he's the pastor emeritus at Lincoln Berean, he wrote a book, and I put a little insert into your bulletins about it. Um, just, I would encourage you to pick this book up. Get your hands on it. I've ordered uh, about a dozen of them through the church this week. They'll be on the book table next Sunday. You can also find this book on Amazon. Um, but... In this little book, and this arose from Brian raising a couple of girls and dealing with their questions, the questions, right? Why doesn't God just correct everything that's wrong with this world? Why is there death? Why is there disease? Why is there sickness? If God's so good, why does evil exist? And so this book kind of arose out of that uh, counseling to his daughters. And, and, there, and there's, there's two girls that find themselves in a world like ours, struggling to understand why God doesn't just correct everything. Why is their brother James sick all the time and have to, have to be bedridden? Why are there bullies in their school? Why, why, did their mom, why did their friend's mom and dad separate? Why can't my friend see her dad anymore? Why the broken relationships? And one day they find themselves in a completely restored world. It kind of reminds me of Narnia, like they end up in the Narnia, you know, the Chronicles by C.S. Lewis. But they find themselves in a completely restored world, basically the new heaven and new earth. And I don't want to ruin the book for you, but what they learn there is the way things ought to be, the land of ought. And they start to realize how they can be a part of showing this world the way it ought to be. You know, there's a, there's a lot in this world that we can't fix. And only Jesus can fully restore it when he comes. But I think the more we think about the way this world ought to be, the more we understand how it should be and understand how we then should live our lives. It'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we speak. It'll change the way we, we trust God in a world of disease, the way we have, we have hope. We can be a part of bringing restoration to a world that needs it. Introducing people to Jesus. Trusting Him, having hope in Him.